Hello and welcome to a live reprogrammed interview. I'm excited to be able to do some live ones again now that we're moved into the new old house. Um, if it's your first time here, this is a new channel, so please hit like and subscribe. I'm very excited I just tonight someone I've wanted to talk to for a while and I was lucky to get to they had a visit for at the Better Discourse Conference. So tonight I'm joined by Colin Wright, who's an evolutionary biologist the founding editor of Reality's Last Stand, which is a great name, and a contributing editor at Colette Magazine. He is an academic advisor to the of evidence-based gender medicine and has essays published in the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Time, Red, and Publisher. Please welcome Colin. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm going to admit to you right up front, I get nervous. Uh, lately, it's during very few interviews, but I, I'm nervous with you, I think, because you're a scientist. <laughs> That's <So>. shocking. <laughs> you can't imagine anyone being intimidated or nervous talking to me. So. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a science and math high school, and a lot of people, like, you know, some of these states, well, states that have uh, maybe not the best uh, education uh, statistics some of them have these schools set up where you go and live there for 11th and 12th grade they're called like science and math schools and most of the people I went to school with a lot of them anyway ended up going into science but I didn't and so maybe it's this I feel intimidated I'm like oh, yeah well I mean, I, a lot of my former colleagues and uh they're some of the most insane people that I know so uh, once you're in the system and see like what other academics think, it really disabuses you of the notion that these are like some really like lofty upper echelon of, of society that you need intimidating. to really respect. Yeah, they're the least intimidating people ever. At least a lot of them. I mean, some people are legitimately brilliant and I, you know, uh, <laughs> they're they're intimidating, but most of them, not so much. Well, you don't seem very intimidating. So um, I... In doing some preparation for this interview, uh, I was reading some of your pieces, which people can go and find you. Well, why don't you tell them, first of all, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I'm, I guess, mainly on Twitter. So my handle is uh, at swipe right, and that's right, my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T. I'm trying to be more on Instagram. It's just not my my platform of choice. And then I write a lot for my my website, um, my substack, realitieslaststand.com. Where I just sort of debunk a lot of stuff on, on you know, biological pseudoscience and gender ideology, things like that. Um, it's just sort of a place. I'm going to be having other people that are going to be publishing on there as well. So but, I've yeah, it's a I've good, pulled that up so people can see it. Reality's last stand on Substack. Um, well, this was the first thing I wanted to ask you about, Colin. So <laughs> this cartoon, can you see it on the screen? I can, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I saw this cartoon. I'm willing to bet a lot of people in the audience saw this go around. It went viral uh, earlier in May, and Elon Musk retweeted it, and it got a lot of flack. And I saw it, and I think I retweeted it. I had no idea you created this cartoon. Yeah, well, the, the original version, I didn't put a, a little watermark on there. So I learned my lesson quick, because as soon as Elon retweeted it, you know, no one knew who did it and all these news programs were talking about it. Everyone thought Elon made it. And I was like, no, this is mine. <laughs> so um, but it finally came around and people started giving me, you know, started to attribute it to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a wild week when Elon tweeted that out. I mean, I think it's close to 300,000 retweets right now and 
probably approaching 2 million likes. It's, it's wow. it was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've just, it's really been amazing too watching, you know, there's of course insane people who are just like trying to debunk it with big data and graphs and stuff like that, even though it's, it's like a political cartoon. It's, it's overly simplistic for a reason. Um, but it spurred a lot of conversation. Like I loved watching people draw their own versions from their different perspectives on different issues. And I think it's just really been kind of a good tool that people have been uh, using to sort of think through how their views have changed and how they view, you know, the political parties of changing over time. So I, I'm really happy that it seems to have spurred a lot of productive discussion, um, even though at the margins, things get a little nuts. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it resonated with a lot of people. It certainly resonated with me because this is similar to my journey. So for anyone who's just listening in the cartoon, you have the year 2008 and there's a little spectrum there from left to right uh, with, with a, it says my fellow liberal on the left of you. And then there you are just left to center. And on the right, there's a conservative. And then in 2012, you can see that your fellow liberal has taken a, a very fast run, a brisk run off further to the left. <laughs> and pulled the center with him. And then by the year 2021, you can see that your fellow liberal is now a woke progressive who's calling you a bigot and that the center has shifted. You've stayed in the same place the whole time, but the center has shifted. Can can you tell people about, I, I love to hear the stories from other people who've on the left, who've, who've witnessed what's been going on the past few years, the past five years in particular, um, can you tell people a little bit about your journey and just waking up to some of the stuff that's happening on the left? Yeah, so I made this cartoon just one night, just in bed in my PJs, uh, just trying to to sort through my own feelings of increased alienation from from the left, from the Democratic Party. Um, on really, you know, it's not on every single issue whatsoever. So a lot of people say, are you saying the right just stayed still? You know, it's, it's a political cartoon. It's not a dissertation. It's really just kind of sort of a distillation of my feelings. Um, but it really has to do with three core issues, I think, that to me were pretty fundamental values that I held. Um, I guess first and foremost, free speech, something that I always valued. I'm a scientist. You need free speech to be able to... to investigate reality and to bring up new data and, and, and bounce it off your peers. Um, and this is, had been something that was like a sacrosanct value on the left. You know, this was all, everyone's all about free speech. I'm also an atheist, so it's a good, uh, you know, free speech has always been a, a prime value for me. Um, and then now we sort of, over time, we now see the left sort of disparage free speech Mm -hmm. They'll put it in scare quotes. They'll just be like so-called free speech. And they're almost, almost, they're, they're quite derisive of it as if it's just some like right-wing talking point, which is really shocking to me because this is, this is for everyone. Like everyone needs free speech, especially, you know, minority groups, because this is the way that they can speak truth to power when, you know, as long as you have that right, uh, you can never be truly silenced and, and you can ha have your voice ha uh, heard. Mm -hmm. Um, and then especially on, I think on, on race issues as well, whereas this old value that I held of judging people by the content of their character rather than by the color of their skin, this seems to now have been replaced on the left by, uh, you know, people using group interests based on mm -hmm. skin color, 
uh, these sort of equity initiatives that look at group outcomes instead of individual civil liberties and rights. So that was a, quite a shift that I've noticed recently. <laughs> and then in the area of, of women's rights, you know, we've seen this sort of critical theory come up uh, in gender ideology, which has recast what it means to be a woman as having nothing to do with biology or reproductive capacity or anything to do, uh, you know, with, with their historic oppression based on their, their sex. And it's now been replaced by gender identity. So a male who could just one day decide he wanted to identify as a, as a female. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, if you're gender fluid, you can identify as a male or female one day or the next. You know, this isn't how we understood what it meant to be oppressed as a, as a woman in the past. You know, people weren't having their right to vote. You know, women weren't given, weren't having their right to vote limited based on how they identified. It's not like they could just show up to a poll and say, oh, I'm identifying as a man today and vote and then leave. You know, it was based on their biological sex. And the left has completely abandoned that. So, you know, free speech, you know, uh, racial issues and civil rights, and then women's rights, all these things have completely shifted. So really this cartoon is talking about mainly those three issues. There's probably some other ones uh, that could be corralled into that cartoon, but mm -hmm. um, these are fundamental values that I hold. And I don't, I never considered myself a Democrat. I usually kind of, you know, I voted Democrat, but I've always just sort of tried to take a step back, survey the political landscape and see where my values are best reflected. And that's, that's who I'll vote for. And up until recently, those values had been on, on the left. And now I see them more on the center right. Not because I've shifted, but as the cartoon shows, yes. the, 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 the ground, the political ground beneath my feet have sort of changed where I'm, just, I'm perceived as center right now, or according to some sources, far right, alt-right, whatever. Um, even though all I'm saying is free speech is good, judge people by the content of their character. Uh, and you know, women's oppression is based on, on their biological sex. You know, pretty radical yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, these were all liberal concepts until very recently, I think. And that's part of the reason I started to my eyes started to be opened to what was happening on the left and how it it made me question if it was actually liberalism anymore. And I ultimately decided it wasn't. Um, I've seen what you talked about, by the way. I've seen them mock the concept of free speech and they even they'll they'll say free speech or something they'll free kind of free speech yeah yeah to try and they, do just, they just it. mock it completely yeah so and it's, it's even viewed as like a danger now to minorities that people with privilege are using their free speech to oppress minorities even though historically like free speech is all the oppressed minorities had in order to as i said before speak truth to power and get their you know, try to reclaim the rights that, you know, they, they, they viewed in the constitution. So it's completely turned on its head. It's upside down. Yeah. So in one of your pieces, it might've been that when you talked about when you were a postdoctoral fellow at Penn state that you faced, you became ostracized for some of your views, which should not be controversial views in my opinion. Can you tell us a little about those and what that was like? <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, so I just I noticed that the discussions that were being had around sex and gender had been shifting. You know, previously the idea that a lot of people agreed with on the left, and you know, I, I agreed with it too to some degree, or at least I, I accepted it as a compromise where they would say something like, you know, your sex, male and female, this is rooted in biology. 
but gender identity, which they would talk about man and woman, those terms, mm -hmm. this is, th th these reflect your identity. These are not sex-based terms. And, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist, so I'm just like, okay, we have male and female. As long as this, there's a line between your biology and your identity, uh, you know, this is okay. You know, we can make, I can make an accommodation for this. But then that line had been slowly blurred and blurred where people will start talking about identifying as male or female rather than man or woman. Um, so this seems to be just eroding that that firm line that I was trying to have between biology and identity. Then there were a couple articles that came out in like Nature that said, yeah. I think it was called Sex Redefined. Biologists now think sex is much more complex than just male and female, things like that. Scientific American had articles talking about the sex spectrum and um, how, you know, you're, no one's really just 100% male and female. It's all just sort of degrees of maleness and femaleness. And that was, it was really shocking to me because I had seen articles talking about the five sexes and all this stuff before, but there was, there were just sort of an op-eds on these fringe websites or on Tumblr. And now here's yeah. nature that is coming out with these. And so really, I just, I kind of lost it at that point. And, and uh, I, I decided I, I really couldn't focus on my own work, my own scientific work, because you know, I, I studied animal personalities, collective behavior and social insects. That's what I did. Um, and I just couldn't imagine doing this research at this frontier of this sort of niche field, talking to my students when half my class might not even understand what males and females are. It just seemed like I had to go back and just sort of repair this foundational stuff before I can even start caring about what the hell paper wasp personalities are up to. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I wrote some articles about this. I had one called The New Evolution Deniers in Quillette. That was sort of the first one that I went public for. Um, then a subsequent one called The Dangerous Denial of Sex in the Wall Street Journal. And I was on the job market at this time. And so people just started swarming like crazy, uh, you know, tweeting at in a good State. In a good way. No, I'm kidding. Um, in well, a bad some, way. In a, well, some in a good way, but a lot of the activists in a really bad way, you know, yeah. because they knew I was sort of in a precarious position in my in my career where, you know, I'm not tenured and I'm looking for jobs. Um, and people were posting on these big message boards in my field, you know, Colin Wright at Penn State. He's a, he's a transphobe and a race scientist, white supremacist. They just, you know, they just lump in all these terms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't hire him. People said they were contacting universities I was applying to ahead of time just to smear me. Uh, so yeah, it got really intense. So I ended up leaving academia and, and uh, you know, I worked for Quillette as their managing editor for a while. I was recently at FAIR as their senior editor. And I've just recently sort of gone on my own now to talk about this stuff full time because again, I just think it's really, really important, fundamental, not just biologically, but for society as a whole. You know, I, my, my website is called Reality's Last Stand because yeah. if we can't get male and female right, if we're gonna just throw that out the window, I just don't know what's next because that's like the low hanging fruit of, of science that we should be able to get right. Even small children understand the reality of males and females. Um, and you know, if we can deny that, we can deny anything. So um, yeah. I, I just, it's the hill I've chosen to die on basically. You are making me think of something that's, that's going on in my personal life right now uh, in my little town in Texas. And this is interesting because you're an atheist, but you and my my pastor are in complete agreement on this. We have a we have a situation going on with a, a local middle school had some 
of their students paint a mural that had uh, symbols on it, had flags on it, had the transgender flag, non-binary, bisexual, pansexual, these different flags. And my pastor spoke at the city council meeting and his he he's so smart <laughs> that I think he almost, and he might've gone over some people's heads, but he was saying, we have to fight this. It's not an overreaction to fight this, even though it seems like it's just a mural because this is a war on reality. I'm paraphrasing him, but he was saying, this is, you know, if you deny gravity, there are immediate consequences to that if you jump off a building. And he was saying the same is true if you deny biological sex. It's just, we're going to feel those consequences when reality says, okay, here's your wake up call. Um, and it's, it sounds like you're kind of echoing each other yeah, yeah. and coming from different perspectives, which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've really, it's really been kind of shocking, but also um, it's, it's really been amazing talking to a lot of religious people here too, who, you know, have understand the reality of male and female. Um, and I've just been able to collaborate with them and form friendships because, you know, we still are having this, the same general approach to reality where a lot of religious people are still very pro-science and understanding the world around us might have a overarching, you know, somewhat of a different lens that they're looking through things, but we're still playing the truth game. We're still looking at evidence and able to have conversations and argue about things and agree to disagree. But this isn't something that we see with the, the left right now, or at least the, the woke critical yeah. theory activist stuff, because they, they, they have a fundamentally different approach to how they view truth and reality. You know, it's a socially constructed reality based completely on language and narratives and power structures. So they're speaking a completely different language. Um, a language that's not even, it's not even compatible with science in my opinion. So um, it's been really shocking to see a lot of my scientific colleagues just sort of imbibe this uh, yeah. without even, you know, no, no friction whatsoever. Amy in the chat, I just wanted to ask you her quick question. She said, what years, can you tell us what years you noticed these changes in the narrative in academia? So I, I, I noticed the ideology probably, you know, on the fringes around 2010, but this was just, you know, there were people on campus who were, were talking in these, these ways, like, you know, the critical social justice type things. Um, I would say though, throughout my entire undergrad so that was between 2010 and, well, when I was at UC Davis, I was there from 2010 to 2012. Um, I didn't see, I didn't see any of it. None of my classes had any of this stuff in it. I had just a great education, very rigorous, great discussions in class. Um, it was really when I was in grad school that I saw a lot of these narratives start to pop up. And it was mainly just in the incoming graduate student cohorts. Maybe some young postdocs were starting to talk in this way. Uh, and then I was in grad school for five years um, and it was just kind of getting worse and worse and worse until when I was in my postdoc, that's when uh, I think I started that in 2018. And that's when just things were flying off the rails. So I, I saw it bubbling in the undergrad population. They then became graduate students. They then became the postdocs and they put pressure on the professors in these areas too. And they were speaking in these, you know, this critical theory language that came out of left field, a lot of people don't know how to respond to this stuff, uh, or they'll just try to shuffle the students through the programs and, you know, oh, they'll, once they get in the real world, uh, it's not going to matter. <laughs> and now we're sort yeah. of seeing that, well, um, it, it is matter. all the DEI stuff yes. that's going into the university. So uh, it's, it's really reached a, 
a fever pitch. I say that every day because every day it's the craziest day to date. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering when when it's gonna when it's gonna burst the, yeah. the woke bubble. I do remember a few years ago when so I started waking up to this stuff in 2016, 2017, and like seeing it for what it was. I had been preaching it for almost two decades. I was one of these people that's like a slow, like almost getting pulled into a cult. You start to accept it's 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 a slow boil. You accept one thing and then and then another, and then next thing you know they expect you to argue against free speech or they expect you to say biological sex isn't real. And it took me a long time to see what it was. Um, so I think it was 2016, 2017 is when I started waking up. And I remember liberals saying exactly what, what you're saying to me. They were like, well, it, like some of my liberal friends would say there is a problem, but it's just in academia and it's, they're going to get into the real world and see this, this doesn't fly. And that's just hasn't that I wish they were right, but they weren't right. They've these people are remaking society uh, and not in favor of reality. So I have a question for yeah. you. You said um, one of the one of the contentious things you said uh, at, at Penn State was that male and female are real biological categories defined by reproductive anatomy. Are you telling us that you know how to define woman? And I believe you, I I believe I, I can. <laughs> okay. Can you do that? Are you, you are a biologist, so. Yeah. Well, so yeah. So I mean, a lot of people, the, the gender ideologists would say, you know, a woman is just anyone who identifies or lives as a woman. So they base it in stereotypes. You know, if we're actually taking a historical approach on how we've defined women up until yesterday, uh, it has been an adult human female. And when we define an adult biologically, this is the average age of reproduction in a species. Um, so yeah, I guess in humans, it'd probably be older than 18. I think most, maybe uh, at least in the West, it's probably much older than 18. Uh, but, you know, we have laws, so we define it as being 18 year old in the, in the West is when you're an adult uh, a human. So there's a member of the species Homo sapiens uh, and then a female. So an, an individual organism that has their reproductive anatomy that's, uh, you know, developed and organized around the production of large gametes or sex cells, eggs. So that is basically what a woman is. And then, you know, alternatively, a girl would just be the adolescent version of, of, of that. Right. So why, why do you think it is that it's so hard for well, I, th I know the answer to this, but d I think, but tell us, why is it so hard for politicians now? You know, we just saw in the, the confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court for people to even to state something that's so basic. And it's such a basic knowledge. As you said, you had to stop studying what you were studying because you felt like, what's the point if we've lost this basic knowledge? Why is it so hard for people to say an adult human female today? The left has really embraced gender ideology, which is this ideology that just views being a man or a woman as having nothing to do with biology, but has everything to do with, with your gender identity, whatever that means. Um, I don't think a lot of the politicians probably believe it, really, maybe, um, but at least they have, to, they have to at least court that, that aspect of their base. Um, because it is, it's not an insignificant proportion. This is a lot of younger people 
who just this is this is their ideology. This is how they view reality. Um, so yeah, it's become quite a contentious issue to even talk about what a woman is. And this is, a, I mean, I wrote about this in my Newsweek piece recently about how you know the country's talking about abortion now, and regardless of anyone's stance on it, you know, abortion had been this bread and butter issue, women's rights issue for so long, you know, people attacking abortion rights, this is, you know, this is an attack on women's reproductive rights, privacy, all this stuff. And we've completely seen the left abandon this, this golden, you know, uh, pretty much like the, the, the golden calf of their, <laughs> of their movement. Um, they won't even say women anymore. They don't even say this is a women's rights issue. This is now they'll they'll talk about birthing bodies and birthing people um it's, it's going to complete erasure of, of of women completely on their side so i mean my piece was titled you can't be the party of women's rights if you if you can't even define what a woman is um and again this is a lot of what my cartoon describes too is on this specific issue the left has completely abandoned uh sex-based rights completely in in, in favor of just subjective brain states that can fluctuate from minute to minute. I, I mentioned my, my pastor saying that, you know, there are consequences to denying reality. What do you think are some of the harms of teaching this biology, the, the biological sex as a spectrum? What are some of those harms for children, for gay and lesbian people, for, I mean, for society? Yeah, so it's it's harmful to women because, <clears throat> I mean, they have these you know there's there's sex based rights that we have. They have protected spaces. They have uh, sort of sports categories. They have you know shelters they can go to. And these these spaces had been set aside for women because of their increased vulnerability based on you know their their biology. You know their um, just just how how their bodies are compared to males. Males are much bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, more prone to aggression and so on. Um, so if, if you, we can't define what a woman is, then obviously we can't enforce any sex-based rights. This is really bad, I think, for the LGBT community as well, or I guess the LG, LGBs, because they've completely reinterpreted what it means to be gay and lesbian um, through the lens of gender ideology, where being gay is no longer being attracted to the same sex. It's now being attracted to the same gender identity. And so... Yeah. You can have a male and a female, which would, you know, historically been viewed as a straight couple. They could just have the same gender identity. They could both identify as male or female. And now we would have to reclassify them as a same sex couple uh, or, you know, a gay couple. So this, you know, I've we, seen we, the, I've seen also, this is, I'm sorry, I'm never showing you. Yeah. I've seen the couple where it's like a trans woman and a trans man. So they're technically a straight couple, but they're the up. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, wait. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's truly bizarre. Um, so, yeah. So, we, we, you know, just when we've like legalized gay marriage across the country and it's become sort of normalized and it's not, you know, looked as this fringe group of people, um, they're widely accepted. Now we've just injected this bizarre ideology that is sort of risking, I think, um, furthering the, the, the normalization of that. And I think it is probably most harmful to children because they're told that, you know, sex is a spectrum and then it's all conflated with gender identity. They'll use sex and gender just interchangeably. And so this makes kids confused about the relationship between their 
personalities and their bodies. You know, we have gender non-conforming kids thinking that they're born in the wrong body because their behavior is more similarly matched to the opposite sex, even though biologically speaking, you know, there's there's wide ranges of behaviors in males and females where you can have masculine women and you can have really effeminate men. Um, this is being reinterpreted through gender ideology evidence that you're, you're transgender and that we need to have your, your expression or your identity match your bodies. Um, you know, it leads to this sort of playground bully logic too that I, I wrote in a piece once where, you know, you could have this really effeminate boy <laughs> who's, you know, very, you know, um, doesn't have a much of a beard, has a high pitched voice, is very slight, and uh, they they would get relent relentlessly bullied. At least a lot of these kids did when I was in high school, and people would often say, you know, like, oh, you know, what are you a girl? You have all these effeminate characteristics. And now with gender ideology, I mean, you 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 can look at your sex spectrum chart and be like, maybe they really are a girl. This this is a viable hypothesis now for why this person, the, this this boy, is acting very effeminate. I just think it's this it's it's regressive. It is defining males and females according to just sexist stereotypes. Um, it you know the the idea behind a lot of modern feminism had been to to resist these sort of gender roles and trying to expand the roles of what males and females can do. Uh, whereas now gender ideology has come in and just sort of cemented these gender roles. Um, where if you're if you're effeminate, then you're a woman regardless of your sex. If you're masculine, you're a man, regardless of your sex. I just see it as incredibly regressive. I even see it as a form of, of gay conversion therapy, and I mean this quite literally, because the people who are more gender nonconforming on average tend to be homosexuals. Um, the traditional kind of gay conversion therapy had been, you know, we need to change your mind to match your body uh, because you're acting really effeminate even though your body is, is male. Now we're saying you know, we need to change your body to match your mind. It's really just the inversion of previous gay conversion therapy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think this is quite literally what's going on. They're the most affected by gender ideology and the gender affirmation therapy type stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you still believe, you said early on uh, when you first started hearing in academia, people talking about this difference between how there's a difference between sex and gender. And I, I remember learning that when I was in, school uh, uh quite a bit earlier than you uh to age myself but uh do you still believe in that divide do you think there's a difference between sex and gender do you talk about sex and gender as two different things no i i fully reject that whole framing now um now that i see like what the reasoning behind that was it's i, I think it's completely false i just like to talk about males and females and then a large bimodal spectrum of behavior, you know, um, degrees of masculine and feminine traits that can be measured in a very, like a, a multivariate way. Uh, none of these make you a certain gender identity or not. Um, you know, I think we just need to embrace the diversity of behaviors in both sexes and the overlap of this behavior between sexes. Mm -hmm. We really don't need to, I think gender, the whole gender ideology, gender identity, it adds absolutely nothing of clarity and it just confuses everything. It just muddles everything completely. Um, and I, I think it's an incredibly regressive ideology. So I, I would, I just completely reject the whole gender identity sort of narrative now. Do you believe that some people experience gender dysphoria and 
do you see that as um, separate from the explosion in trans that we're currently seeing today? Yeah, big time. So I, I do see there being a, a psychological condition that some people have. I would say that people like Buck Angel is a good example of this. Blair White is a good example of this. It's, it's not even so much just identifying as the opposite sex or something, whatever that means, but it's this really deep-seated anxiety and suffering that people go through when they look at themselves in the mirror and they just they just feel, for whatever reason, that this their body isn't right for them, you know. And this is, you know, it's it's not literally right or wrong. I mean, it's it's just that's how they feel. And some people, I think, do benefit from from transitioning their their bodies to look more like how they think they feel on the inside. Okay, like. So I'm not against people transitioning when they're adults if they want to, if that makes them feel more comfortable and that's how they want to live their lives. Um, but we've seen a shift away from from this, which is just like a psychological condition, to now just identifying with, with stereotypes of masculinity and femininity. There's been this discussion about like, what is the cause for this huge uptick in kids claiming to be trans or gender dysphoria clinics are being just bombarded with so many people in referrals that they, they can't even handle them all. People say it's, you know, greater societal acceptance. This is the only reason. Um, I don't think that's really the cause. Then people would say, well, this is, there's a social contagion aspect. People just think they're trans. Um, you know, maybe I think there's, that's some degree what's going on, but I, I think we don't even have to look at these like complex social phenomena going on. If you actually look at how people are defining what it means to be transgender, if you look at Planned Parenthood, if you look at human rights campaign, uh, EGALE in Canada, which is the biggest LGBT organization that supplies uh, the, the curriculum for their public schools. Uh, if you look at the American Psychological Association, they literally define being trans as behaving in a manner or identifying in a way that's, that's uh, against the societal expectations are for your sex. Like they, 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 they spell it out so clearly like that so it's literally just gender nonconformity now is how they're identifying what being trans is. Um, so the, it's not even the kids are really confused. They're being told this. And I'd say a lot of people don't identify with these, you know, caricature stereotypes of masculinity and femininity. Mm. I myself am not just like this super embodiment of, of masculinity. So I'm, I would be non-binary according to the own, their own you know, the, the ideological rules of gender ideology. Um, and this is what this is what we're seeing. We're seeing just gender non-conforming kids thinking they're trans because that's literally what they're being told. Yeah. The, so it's it's trans being trans is, is turned into a you know from a psychological condition that people seek to get get help for um, to a, to an ideology. You know, Buck Angel. There's no ideology that goes into what Buck Angel did. You don't need an ideology in order for someone like Buck to want to go and get get assistance and transition to feel better about themselves. Um, you know, and Buck will be the first to tell you that they're biologically female. They just took, you know, had surgeries and took testosterone so they can just feel better psychologically. Uh, whereas now it's, there's a whole queer theory, ideological component that's, that's being injected into the whole thing. So right. that's what, that's what's going on. You mentioned the APA and mm -hmm. I noticed they keep changing the DSM in how they refer to gender dysphoria. Yeah. Did you see some of the recent changes? They changed um, 
instead of saying something like uh, your desired gender, they changed it to your experienced gender. There's this validation there, um, which to me seems like it's not very scientific. There's no inquiry there. It's like, if you experience it, then that's your correct gender. Yeah, it's completely up to the patient to self-diagnose across the board now. I mean, that's what the gender affirmation, I don't even call it therapy. There's, there's, there's nothing, you, you just basically accept what anyone walking into your clinic says face value. Otherwise, you're, you're a trans, basically. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's, they don't even say cross-sex hormones. They're the gender-affirming hormones, things like yeah. that. Um, we need to be able to have language so we can speak frankly about what's going on. And I just think changing the language so much, and this is sort of the game that they play, um, has really changed the way people view reality in this, in this yeah. area. And unfortunately, like the, the medical component of this hasn't really caught up to the fact that they've just expanded the definition of what it means to be trans. Uh, and so they're applying these, you know, these, these interventions meant for people like Buck Angel <laughs> to a whole new cohort of people who are literally just gender nonconforming kids. Yeah. Have you have you been following? I'm sure you have. The it seems like to me uh, an explosion of stories and videos of of people, young adults, mostly women, who are now detransitioning and saying, "I transitioned. I tried to, you know, become a man. I became a man. I tried to become a man in adolescence, and uh, I regret it now." And have you been following this these stories? And and do you think there are going to be more of those? I think there's going to be so many more of these. I mean, we there, if there's, I think over forty thousand people on GoFundMe right now trying to fund their their double mastectomies, their gender affirming surgeries. Um, you know, there, there's just there's no safeguarding that's going on here. They would call it gatekeeping, but in reality, it's safeguarding. There's a reason why we didn't have detransitioners. This is a completely new phenomenon. You know, when I always keep you know, bring up Buck Angel a lot, but like when Buck was going through this, there was a lot of steps they had to go through before they could actually receive these, you know, to, to actually pursue a transition. Um, and that's because you really need to make sure that you have actual gender dysphoria and you're just some ideological uh, notion in your mind that you're gender nonconforming and that means you're you're trans. Um, yeah, I know a lot of detransitioners. I mean, I, I did a panel with uh, Helena, who's fantastic and- yeah. I keep, just keep hearing from a lot of these people how easy it was for them to get their testosterone injections. They go in there, they fill out a small form, talk to someone, you know, less than an hour. Yep, you've got gender dysphoria. Here's your prescription. They can walk out in some places that day with with their with their testosterone injections. Um, it's it's completely insane. I think what's going on here, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of more people are going to have to to do this to their their bodies and regret it in order for any meaningful change to take place i think um you know it's it's really weird viewing like a an enormous medical scandal happening in real time and understanding that this is an enormous medical scandal you know this is i think this is worse than lobotomies or you know any previous medical scandals we've had in, in the past this is i mean because it, it targets children. young children it's so perverse and because we've somehow we've gotten parents to become complicit in it so i know you you are in you and i talked about this um and I, i've seen some of your pieces and i know you're in some of these facebook groups like i'm in for parents of trans kids 
I put that yeah. in quotes. And um, I was just in, I was looking at one of them today and it's so depressing because if you say something that doesn't fit with the orthodoxy in these groups, I've seen some parents say something that doesn't fit with the orthodoxy, they get booted. So there's no way to offer these parents a different perspective. And there's thousands of these parents in these groups. And mm -hmm. I saw today, Colin, uh, a mom who posted this just tragic story about her 11 year old. And it was, it was like, you know, my, my 11 year old uh, came out as trans at, t at 10 years old and our son had already been out for several years. So, okay. First of all, you have two kids who are trans. Um, and, you know, we did everything right and we affirmed and we uh, told the school, you know, to use the, the affirmed, you know, the affirming pronouns and, um, they basically, their kids started the transition process and there's so many stories like this in this group. And this particular child ended up having a therapist who did say there might be some underlying problems here. In fact, they said was diagnosed with BPD, borderline personality disorder. Um, and this child ended up committing suicide and that story, it's tragic, but there are so many of them in these groups. And the crazy thing to me is when they share them, there's no one to push back. And so the question never arises, did I do something wrong in the affirming part or in like the very beginning? Or is, is the orthodoxy in this group in any way to blame for, for the trajectory some of these kids are taking? Can you tell me, I mean, what, what is the attitude like? And I don't know if we're in the same groups, <laughs> but um, what's the attitude like in some of these groups? I mean, all the all the cases I see are shockingly similar. It's it's and many times it's, you know, I have a, you know, a daughter, there they have autism. That's that's a huge component. Um, you know, they are gender non-conforming. A lot of the parents speak just in in complete stereotypes. Like, I've seen some where that you know my my daughter they used to like pink, now they're kind of like blue more. Um, they've even talked about how their daughter was, you know, had a girlfriend at school. So, you know, they're same sex attracted. Well, who else is usually attracted to girls? Well, boys are. So maybe my daughter is really a boy. You know, it's, it's really that sort of um, course in the way that they're talking about it. They're clearly talking about stereotypes. Sometimes you'll see a parent that'll have some hesitation. They're just like, you know, I, oh, I just don't think my daughter's trans, you know, that they have this idea that there, there could be some social contagion going on. And then you read the comments. And often when there's a parent who's not just buying all in, the comments are just fierce and there's hundreds of them. You know, you need to accept that your daughter is gone and this is your son. You need to affirm your son now. You know, would you rather have a, um, you know, a, a living son or a dead daughter, this type of thing? They, they just scare the daylights out of these parents who think that if they just don't go along with this, that their their kid is going to commit suicide. It is such emotional manipulation. It is out of control. Um, and you can see these these stories progress. There's some parents that will post, you know, you know, me and my daughter, we're, uh, you know, we're just allies. We're not trans. And then, oh, you know, my daughter kind of came out as non-binary using they, them pronouns. Oh, post six months later, they're getting a mastectomy now. Can you refer to me to a surgeon? It's happening so, so much. I know people in just my personal life, you know, families who are dealing with this. So it's, it is just a 
across across the U.S. and I think a lot of the Western world. It destroys families. It destroys kids' lives. It permanently alters their bodies. It sounds crazy, me even saying this, because it sounds like something a conspiracy theorist would say, but this is literally what's what's happening. And I see yeah. it every single day because this is my full-time job now. I'm looking in these groups. I'm yeah. breaking stories on this. It is not some fringe thing. This is it's not fringe. happening so much. I absolutely agree. And I, I, these groups are private and um, I'm so grateful that you're doing this work because it's, it's weird. On the one hand, sometimes I want to screenshot things in these groups and say, look at what is happening. Look at all these parents. But at the same time, it's like, that's such a tragic story. And I'm, I, and I don't know. And, but I think that there does need to be a light on it because they're not hearing from any opposing voices in the groups and, and it is functioning a lot like a cult in my opinion. And, and as you said, the comments, if someone has any questions about the belief system, they get piled on immediately. Um, and there's a lot of recurring themes in there. There's a lot of suicide. There's a lot of the kids. And, and again, these are all kids that are being affirmed immediately. Suicide, kids yeah. running away, um, kidnapping and rape of children. I've, I've seen stories like that more than once in the groups and uh and the and there's there's no it, it's it's so weird it's like the parents are on board the medical establishment is bo on board and a lot of times the public schools are on board you wrote an article about how a lot of teachers are hiding these um gay and lesbian like groups from parents can you can you tell me a little bit about that story yeah so there was a a, a webinar like a virtual panel that my girlfriend actually, Christina, she she discovered there was this advertisement on one of these parent parents of trans kids groups, um, and it was for GSAs. So in my day, this meant Gay Straight Alliance. Those were the clubs on on campuses. GSA no longer means Gay Straight Alliance. It now means Gender and Sexuality Alliance. And this one was specifically for how to start gender and sexuality clubs in elementary schools. So we decided like, well, let's sign up for this. Uh, so we signed up, we registered, you know, we put fake names in there and everything. Mm -hmm. We recorded it. And, you know, this was sort of a test case. You know, we have this perception could be biased. I'm really in this area. I focus a lot on this. So um, I see a lot of libs of TikTok stuff. Maybe this, maybe I just have this overblown idea of what is going on in these, these types of webinars. So here's one. Let's just see what they say in this thing. So they talk specifically about how they try to keep things from parents. They, you know, they, they have these clubs take place during school hours so that, uh, you know, they don't have to have a permission slip. Sometimes they do need to have, you know, they need to alert the parents, but alerting them is literally just putting like a little flyer in their backpack that just gets lost in the backpack. Like it never makes mm -hmm. it to the parent. And then they even talk about how they keep the wording on these flyers intentionally broad you know, this is the this is the club about inclusivity, about acceptance, um, anti-bullying. Yeah, where and later in this webinar, they talk about how this is the club where they talk. I think they said really explicitly and seriously about sexuality and gender. So your kid is getting explicit elementary school kids. There's no way, there's no age cutoff on these elementary elementary schools. Um, and then at the end of this this webinar, so we had all this material and they had an open Q&A. And initially we were just going to watch, we were just going to be observers. And then they had the Q&A. And so it's like, oh, I can actually ask a question now. 
And so I asked the question in the Q&A, uh, you know, what would you do if a parent uh, wanted the teacher to use the child's legal name and sex-based pronouns instead of their kid's chosen name and, you know, knew, uh, you know, the, the pronouns um, that, they, that they decided to use to reflect their new gender identity. And they all, all the teachers, all four of the people on the panel said that they would not abide by the parent's request. They would continue to use, you know, the name the kid wants to, and they would, you know, they, they were really condescending in how they said they would talk to parents and they would say something like, oh, you know, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, in my class, you know, this is a, an affirming space. And they were just so dismissive of any of the parents' concerns. And this is literally the teachers and staff up to the lunch ladies, everyone collectively participating in the social transition of a child without either the parent's knowledge or when they do have, when the parent does find out, they just wave them off. This is, you know, and they even don't even talk about the parents as parents. They just, they, they say caregivers instead of parents the entire yeah. time as, you know, like a babysitter or something. These are all equivalent to them. Um, it was it was shocking, and so we broke that story. Uh, that I'm glad it went pretty viral. There was a lot of articles written about it, but you know this was I could have been proven wrong. They could have just been, uh, you know, the the type of teachers you would hope that they have, and say, of course, we're going to listen to the parents um, because ultimately they know their kid better than than anyone else. But no, it was, it was complete opposite. It was a complete yeah. dismissal of parental authority across the board. What what kind of advice do you have for parents? I, I mean, I ask almost everyone this who has anything to do with academia. What kind of advice do you have for parents who have kids in the public school system right now? It's rough. You know, I don't have kids myself, so it's it's really difficult for me to <laughs> give advice to parents. And I know that a lot of parents are in different places with, you know, it's not like you can just remove your kid from school and send them somewhere else. I mean, some parents might be able to do that. Some parents might be able to homeschool if it's fits within their schedule and their financial uh, uh, abilities. Um, you really need to bring it up to the the teachers. You need to break this news open. You need to get more sunlight on what's happening in the schools. You need to speak up. You need to be bold. You need to show up to the the schools. You need to try to get on the uh, on the boards, the educational boards, to try to influence the types of policies that these schools are implementing. Um, it's It really needs to be a grassroots movement because mm -hmm. this is a top-down thing that's coming through. No one voted this stuff in. It's just sort of organically yeah. came through. Um, and a lot of it's done because it's, it's done based on guidelines because when schools implement a policy, if, if it's like a, real, like a real policy change, that has to go through all the voting and all that stuff. But guidelines have this weird loophole where any organization can give a school a guideline and the schools can adopt these guidelines without any voting whatsoever. And so you have all these organizations that create these gender affirming guidelines, these gender plans for your students, um, and it becomes policy. It's like an unofficial policy, but it sort of becomes official because everyone on the staff yeah. agrees with it, or at least those who don't don't raise a fuss because they'll get targeted. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the parents, they need to do as much as they can to to have their voices heard or to expose the teachers who are doing this because there's there's a lot of people like like me and others who will 
launch these stories and make them national news. So um, that just that needs to happen more and more so people can yeah. get to the, the voting booth and, and vote accordingly. I'm encouraged because, I mean, here in Texas, we saw in the recent school board elections in, uh, I was very tuned into the ones in Grapevine Colleyville because I got to interview some parents there who um, were part of exactly what you're talking about, a grassroots movement to retake the school board and they swept the races. Um, these parents who oppose, I mean, and I do agree with James Lindsay, I call it grooming, but this grooming of kids towards trans ideology um, and who oppose CRT and, 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 and they won. And I think, do you think that the tide is shifting as more people, more normies, if you will, are becoming aware of what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I look back on the comments that I received when I published my first article on this topic in 2018. And everyone was just, oh, this person is conflating sex and gender. No one's really denying sex. And that was like the majority of the comments. Some people understood what was going on. Um, but most of the people were just not quite brought up to date. Nowadays, people know what's up. <laughs> people understand yeah. that, yeah, this ideology is toxic. People are literally saying that sex is a spectrum or a social construct and the whole gender ideology, it's all about identity and nothing to do with biology. Um, and people are being more and more bold to speak out. They're willing to speak out more um, because a lot more people have spoken out. It's sort of a snowball effect. The more yes. people, you know, it's harder for the first person to speak up, but it's easier for the second, even easier for the third. So we're four years since, you know, I first started talking about it. People know what's going on now. And a lot yeah. of them really like, they don't even care that they're, they're, or they care, but they, they don't care about being silent. They're, they're willing to speak up. It's, I don't think we really have a lack of courage anymore. Um, for some, sure. But generally, I think people are willing to speak up about this stuff. Um, it just needs to have more people become aware of what's going yeah. on. I think some people still don't know. Um, but yeah, no, you, there's, there's time's going to turn for sure. Um, speaking of how much the awareness has grown in just a few short years, did you see that clip that Myth Inform shared from Bill Maher's show? And it was just from like two years ago. And I believe it was Dennis Prager was saying something about how, you know, they're trying to teach that men can become pregnant. And Bill Maher, did you see that? Bill Maher laughed at him. Like everyone on the panel laughed at him. Like this was ridiculous. And now two short years later, I mean, that's what they're out there saying. Men can become pregnant. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. What we're we seeing now it. in the abortion debate where there's pregnant man emojis on every single platform you can have. Yeah. This is where we are. Yeah. There's like a delay. There's like a two year delay between what's on Tumblr and what becomes normalized throughout society. So uh, <laughs> I think, you know, if you go on Tumblr now, that might be a prelude to what we might see in a couple of years. Uh, I sure hope not. I think I think well the tide will turn before that because again, I mean you can only get so far away from from reality before it snaps back. Um, I've said this though every year for the last four years that you know things are getting too insane. How much more insane could they possibly be? And right. then they've gotten more insane. Um, it, it's going to get more insane, <laughs> but you know that's I'm I'm more in favor now of like the the. Um, make it as, as most insane as quickly as possible. So more people just become whatever pilled and, uh, and, and speak out against this stuff. You know, it's been a slow burn for a while, but I think it's, it's reaching a, a point right now where it there's is reaching. sort of a big consensus quorum. 
it's been reached. I would, I would say the craziness is reaching a, a crescendo or a, a cacophony of just noises. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really shifted. It was like CRT was the biggest thing for a while. And a few of us were talking about gender. Now I feel like gender, I mean, even Chris Rufo has sort of shifted. He still will yeah. blow up something, a big scoop on, you know, weird race trainings and stuff. But he's he's now shifted over to doing a lot of gender stuff. Um, so I think that's a good yeah. indicator of sort of where the focus is right now in the in the culture generally. Yeah. Well, that that brings me to I do want to read a couple of super chats. I know I don't have you for too much longer. So um, there is a question here for you about that. Uh, first of all, thank you, Lou Watermark, twenty five dollars with a glass of some kind of liquor. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Ken Lipson says, does Colin think what's happening now is a normal cycle of society, meaning when it gets too successful, it begins to collapse? You know, I'm not too well versed in history to, to, to be able to take such a, a, a far back look at cycles of society. But I do think there is something to this notion that we've gotten to a point where Things are pretty good for most people. There is, in most cases, a social safety net that keeps people above a certain, you know, to a certain standard of living, um, where we can we have time to focus on absurd things that you wouldn't be able to focus on in the third world country when they're just really concerned about getting the next meal the next day. Like, you don't have a lot of gender ideology in really poor countries, and that's yeah. for a reason. Is because you know they're they're so much more in contact with their environment where sex differences really matter <laughs> that um yeah it is there's no possible way that they could be concerned about this type of stuff and i, I do see that as something that's happening in the more i guess first world western nations is we're able to to focus a, a, an unbelievable amount of time and energy on really fringe theories um yeah. that we just turn into our own weird realities now which is quite a privilege yeah interestingly yeah. enough because <laughs> they love that word yeah I'm, I'm hoping that you know i'm not living for this time where like here's where society collapses now like when i'm 36 that's when everything went to hell again um so i hope we can recover and continue to progress uh but i think you know there is sort of some bubble that's gonna burst and um yeah it's yeah there needs to be a, a, a reset, not a, not a great reset, but just a, <laughs> a, a more sane, the same kind of reset, you know, a small reality reset, reality <laughs> yes. reset. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Pratt. Thanks lady. Nicole Pratt gives a super chat and says, hi, Carrie. I loved Colin on JRE and would love to see him return there because even though it's not been long since he was there, things have slid so far further since. When was it yeah. that you were on that show? I think it was July of last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a wild a experience. And I'm just, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to be on there because I mean, that's the, you know, it's the biggest podcast in the world. And it was just almost three hours of here's what people are saying about sex and why it's wrong. And here's how crazy gender ideology is. <laughs> you know, the, a lot of this stuff, like I got to introduce the genderbred person to Joe Rogan. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I would love to go back on because um, yeah, things have gotten much more insane. Uh, you know, we, we'd probably rehash a lot of similar ground, but I think, you know, the gender ideology has really just spun out of control. So I would 
I would love to go back on there. That'd be great. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on a book now. So uh, once that's out, maybe I'll get a chance to go back on. But yeah, that was that was a blast. That was actually probably one of the most comfortable interviews I ever did just because Joe's such a good, good host. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you connected with uh, Billboard Chris? Do you yeah, know I, I got I actually uh, walked around and he came to Sacramento when I was living in uh. Sacramento just last year. Uh, and we, we walked around the Capitol with billboards. So that's, yeah. I feel like that's like a list that a lot of like the, the turfs, if there's like a turf checklist, it's like, I held billboards with billboard Chris. With, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it could be when he was here, we got, we were going to the local university and, uh, we had just gotten the billboards out of his car and we're putting them on and the, some university students or someone called the cops on us before we even got out of the parking lot they wow. made us leave so that's amazing <laughs> we, we didn't there, there weren't a whole lot of fireworks we walked in downtown sacramento um and it was kind of a slow day downtown but it was a lot of fun we got to i had a group of like 12 year old girls yelling at me that calling me an old man and that, uh, <laughs> that was interesting I didn't think i'd be doing that on a saturday do you remember when you thought that 30s was old i do yeah. I don't uh, this is not a super chat, but this is a great question from the chat. Andrew, thank you. He says, can someone explain why CRT and trans are always yoked together? And this is put forth as a logical pairing. Yeah, I mean, it's all the whole intersectional type of thing going on here. So, I mean, we saw how Black Lives Matter changed to Black Trans Lives Matter in, a, in an instant. You still see that uh, going around a lot. I mean, they, they just think it's all all these different intersecting identities. Um, if you can claim as many of these intersections as possible, then you're basically the Oracle and everything you say is just like truth being spoken uh, into the world. Yeah. So yeah, there's always a focus on, on blending as many of these intersectional uh, things as possible. So I think that's, that's just why it's on there. I mean, you see like the pride flag now has like the black stripe is like, yeah, black people are now, on the pride flag. It's interesting. Yeah. The way I usually describe it is it's like social, my old belief system, social justice is like an umbrella and underneath it, it it's all of these different identity groups. That's why it's all tied together though. It's all part of the same yeah. overarching belief system, which is that yeah. the best way to look at the world is just divide all of us into these identity groups and then rank us in terms of oppression. And yeah, it goes hand in hand. As like a I see it as like this like three-headed monster where like the monster itself is like critical theory. And then you have like critical race theory. You have like the gender ideology. Then you have like the post-colonial studies and all that stuff yeah. going on there. Um, they're all coming from the same critical theory, identity-based types of things, post-modern power structures, all that stuff. Um, they're just applying that lens through different aspects of society, but it's it's all the same yeah. stuff. Yep. And like, well, your three-headed monster, if you lop one of those heads off, they just, I mean, then there's the fat studies head and the exactly. mental health yeah. justice head. And yeah. yeah. Uh, we have one more super chat from Pirate Tomsky. I thought you were going to bed. Thanks for staying up uh, from in the UK. He gives us a super chat and says, what do you think of the Florida laws about teachers, et cetera? Also, what's your favorite bottle behind you, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> Pirate's my producer. He told me he was going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well glad glad he stuck around so the the florida law the so-called don't say gay bill 
you know, that's it's amazing how they were just able to just one person called yeah. the don't say gay bill and then in every headline it's just like the don't say gay bill. So it just became that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's if you actually read what it says, it's completely reasonable. It's just it's keeping transgender ideology and you know sexual the discussions of, of sexuality out of I think it's K through third grade. And then it even says, I think, where when when they are discussed, it's age age appropriate or something mm -hmm. like that. Like it's when they've done polls when if you actually read if you if you present people like do you agree with this text, like almost everyone agrees with it. Um, I mean, they're just using it to like rattle their base. They need something. They don't have a lot to go on economy wise, so they try to go for their tried and true things. If you know, if Republicans are out for to get gay people, like that's. Those are some of the only few things they can try to, you know, try to motivate their voters by. Um, I think a lot of people saw through it, but they they definitely tried. Favorite bottle behind me. That's really tough. Um, ooh, so in the very upper right, yeah. there. That's that a Lafroig, <laughs> a Lafroig eighteen year old Scotch. They don't make yeah. it anymore. I have a few other bottles behind it uh, of the same one, just because I knew they were going to discontinue it. So it's uh, from the Isla region of Scotland. It's very smoky, but it's aged for a long time. So it's also really mellow. It's 48%. It's delicious. I love it so much. I, I, only, I, I almost never drink it though, because they don't make it anymore. So I'm just savoring. Because it's so special. Yeah. I bet uh, Pirate Uli has a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, this one from I'll Fight You Naked. He says his super chat won't work. So he just wanted to say, keep fighting. Thank you. And then... <laughs> And then I had another one for you. That was just a compliment for you from Alina. Everything Colin is saying is spot on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long. Oh, wait, there's one more. I almost missed it. Thank you, Ego Lair. Says Colin's finding the good fight out there and carry that hat is an 11 out of 10. Thank you. This is my go-to, almost like my everyday hat. So I love it too. It's a, it's a good, You're a good hat wearer. I can't pull off hats. Everybody can. I'll get you into hats. If my husband and I ever come visit Nashville, we'll we'll have to visit. Yeah. I want to visit some of the hatters there. So yeah. are you good at hat yeah. shopping for others? So you could like envision what type of hat that I could pull off? Absolutely. Cause I also used to and and the same with boots. I used to sell handmade cowboy boots. So I could get it, I could see myself yeah. getting into boots. I mean, I live in Nashville now, so I feel like I, uh, I have a lot more thoughts about boots than I do hats. So yeah. We'll make Send me happen. some hat recommendations <laughs> based on what you see and okay. how you when you when you met me at the better discourses. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get one that you said that I you think, recommend. I'll send you some pictures. Yeah. I think you might yeah, actually look definitely not. really do it. Flat Please. Cap. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, thank cool. you so much, Colin, for being <laughs> so here. If I come back on, I'll wear the hat that you recommend. And then you have to wear it, yeah. Um, just remind <laughs> people one more time, and Pirate put it in the chat a few times I saw, but just remind people where they can find you online. And, and you guys, I, I really recommend that you follow his Substack. It's like he said, you're focusing all of your time on this right now. And you're a great writer. You had a turn of phrase in there. But I wrote it down because it was so good. You said debunking a cartoon with a chart is like answering a love poem with a syllogism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. where can Thank people you. find you? So I'm mainly on Twitter. Uh, handle is at swipe right. It's W-R-A-G-H-T. Uh, then, you know, realitieslaststand.com. That's my, my sub stack where I'm, I'm publishing a lot. There's a weekly newsletter that's for subscribers only. Uh, and that's just sort of going over that week's news in, you know, the sex and gender debate. It starts with, 
here's some insane stuff. And then it's got a section where there's sanity. And then it even has a whiskey review at the end, because by the time you're done reading it, you probably need a drink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so those are subscribers only, but then all the articles, those are all free. Uh, Cause I really just, people need this information. I've thought about putting some other content behind paywalls and I just can't bring myself to do it because this is information that people need to have. So uh, the newsletter, you know, it's it's news with my commentary. So if that's useful to you, give it a subscribe. Um, I'm also going to be probably starting a podcast pretty soon, and that will most likely be subscribers only, at least for the first two weeks or something. I've been working on my background, so this will be sort of a studio in, in the working. So, it's a great background. Uh, yeah, definitely support me if you can. Again, I'm doing... This is what I do full time now. So <laughs> all the any any bit of support helps. I turned down a job at, at the Daily Wire actually to to do <laughs> this stuff. Wow. Well, it's so important. And I'm like I said, I'm so grateful that you're out there covering what you're covering and especially the stuff that's happening in those uh those groups online. So thank you, Colin. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. Uh thank you thank guys you. for being in the chat tonight and supporting. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.